blessing. I appreciate not only their service, I appreciate what they're learning as they serve uh, there at the camp. And it is a place of uh, strong patriotism for America as well as a place of service. One other part of announcement I didn't make, I need to make uh, when we come back or if you don't leave, uh, to watch the fireworks if you have a lawn chair that you want to put out. Uh, we're going to be in this area out here where the tent was. That's a building site out there. Uh, they're looking back in this direction. Uh, don't go behind the building if the kids will stay out here. And, of course, um, I, I'll just go ahead and say what we all know. Be very careful. Uh, folks will be leaving. Children be playing. Be careful when you're driving. Make sure you pay close attention. Sometimes we get in the habit of getting in the car and uh, looking at our phone. Be careful with children out there, and we want to uh, have a good evening, and we will. Second Timothy, or First Timothy chapter 2, I want to preach from the first two verses. Uh, actually, the third verse is a comment on it. He said, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, and notice the words that are given, and all of them describe a type or a part of prayer to God. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, going to God on behalf of another, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Then he says, for kings and for all that are in authority. And the result of that prayer, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. I want to preach on the enemies of personal prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word, a very simple truth and reminder. No one here tonight is going to learn what prayer is or that we should pray, for we all know that. But we do need reminders along the way. We do need encouragements along the way not to forget the most powerful tool that we have, and that is the tool of prayer. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit as I preach tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Benjamin Franklin stood on the floor of the Constitutional Convention, and he made this statement to George Washington. We have arrived, Mr. President, and a very momentous and interesting crisis in our deliberations. Hitherto our views have been as harmonious, and our progress as great as could reasonably have been expected. But now an unlooked for and formidable obstacle is thrown in our way, which threatens to arrest our course, and if not skillfully removed, to render all our fond hopes of a constitution abortive. It is, however, to be feared that the members of this convention are not in a temper at this moment to approach the subject in which we differ in this spirit. I would therefore propose, Mr. President, that without proceeding further in this business at this time, the convention shall adjourn for three days in order to let the present ferment pass off and to afford time for a more full, free, 
and dispassionate investigation of the subject. And I would earnestly recommend to the members of this convention that they spend the time of this recess not in associating with their own party and devising new arguments to fortify themselves in their old opinions, but that they may mix with members of opposite sentiments, lead, lend a patient ear to their reasonings, and candidly allow them all the weight to which they may be entitled. And when we assemble again, I hope it will be with the determination to form a constitution. If not such an one as we can individually and in all respects approve, yet the best which under existing circumstances can be obtained. The convention was dismissed for three days. After the three days recess, they reconvened. Benjamin Franklin stood again in the midst of argument, in the midst of heated disagreement, and he said, In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth, and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings. In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. To that kind of providence we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this building, this political building, no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded. And we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments be human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. They did call on God. 
And there was a divine presence that brought about a peace that eventually yielded that great document, the Constitution of the United States. If it was prayer of faith to God that brought about this nation as it is under our Constitution, I say tonight to you, church, why should it not be that same prayer of faith that would bring this nation back to the same desire for freedom that we once had? I understand that the work we are called to do as a Christian and as a church and as a, a local New Testament Baptist church is to preach the word and win the lost and expose error and educate our children and build our families and strengthen our Christian lives. But I fear that we often get so busy we overlook the most important activity given to the Christian and to the church collectively. And that is prayer of faith in God. I ask you to take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 11. If we tonight could open the doors in those days of the Constitutional Convention and hear the arguments of the various groups and factions, we would probably conclude that there is no hope for this group to come together and form a constitution and to secure national liberty. There were so many disagreements, and yet it was when they turned to God, each mind and each heart, that God brought a peace and God responded to their prayer. Could God not do it again? Could he not do it again? You say, but preacher, there's so much, there's so much disagreement. There's so many factions. There's so many arguments. There's so many differences of opinion. I understand that tonight. I understand that and I also know that in the days before our declaration as a nation that it was only 30% of folks that actually wanted to move forward because of the battles that they faced. 30% that were against it and 40% couldn't make up their mind. It has never been the majority that has brought about victory. It has always been a righteous remnant of God's people that knew how to pray and get a hold of God that made a difference. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, the Bible says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that, not casually, not occasionally, but them that diligently seek Tonight, on this 4th of July, this Independence Day, I want to ask you to renew your fervor, your dedication to pray for America. I know there are many things wrong, but God is the one that can make them right. 
You see, men can come from various walks of life and different, uh, differing opinions and differing cultures, even differing countries as the disciples were. And yet they all followed Christ not because they agreed with one another, but they believed that Christ was the truth. They believed that he was the way. They believed that he was the life. And as they followed Christ, it brought unity not just between them and the master. It brought unity among those men. We see times of their humanity revealed. We see times of argument. And yet when it came to truth, and yet when it came to following Christ, these men did follow Christ. And I say tonight, unity is not the result of us overlooking disagreements. Unity is the result of us following the truth. And as the Bible says in the Gospel of John in chapter 3, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And dear friend, you and I, we must express our faith daily, not just in public worship, but in private supplication before the God of heaven. We cannot overlook the vital importance of prayer for America. Work without prayer is a useless work. Work without dependency on God is a useless work. You see, when Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, the people were a reproach and the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. You'll find that Nehemiah began his quest of rebuilding the walls around the city in a time of prayer. Not only did he pray privately and personally, he called those men together and they prayed and God heard their prayer. And were it not for the aid of an almighty God, they would have never accomplished the rebuilding of the walls for the enemy was great and the enemy was strong and there was even confusion among the people but it was because of Nehemiah's faith in God as revealed in his prayers as recorded in the book of Nehemiah that success came about and the walls were rebuilded. I read today of the prayer of Ezra as recorded in Ezra chapter 10 beginning in verse number 1 as Ezra fell on his face. You see, that group was a group that went to rebuild the temple and they had laid the foundation and because of difficulty the work had stopped and they had left off working of the building of the temple and only the foundation was there as they went and then began to build their own houses. Haggai the preacher came came in and said, how can you sit in your sealed house, your finished house, and the house of God lieth waste? You'll find in Ezra chapter 10, as they begin to fall on their face before God, you see their work was useless without the God of heaven. I want to say tonight, no matter how small our work may be, when we connect our work by prayer and faith to God, God can make a mighty work of it. The book of Esther, it was prayer that made the difference. You see, Esther was going to see the king. She knew she was taking her life into her own hands. And she said, before it's time to go in, I want you to not pray for me. I want you to pray with me. And they spent a time in prayer and fasting. 
It was during that time of prayer, no doubt, that God began to work in the heart and the mind of the king. Oh, you understand, dear friend, that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And as he heard the prayers of Esther and Mordecai and those servants, he began to work in the heart of that king. And dear friend, the people, the decree had already gone out that every Jew would be annihilated. At the same time, they would all be killed. But prayer made the difference. If prayer is what brought our nation through conception to becoming the nation that it has, prayer is the key to seeing our nation return to the same desire of freedom that it was founded in. The book of Daniel is a wonderful book. It's a book of faith. It's a book of courage. It's a book where a young man took a stand for God. When you look at the setting of that, realizing Daniel was not in his home of Jerusalem, but he was in a faraway captive land, a godless land, a land that did not believe in his God, a land of heathen that looked down on the people of God, for they were nothing but slaves. How could they have any faith in a God that would let their people be taken captive? And they didn't understand the reason they were taken captive is because of their sin. And God raised up the enemy God raised up the enemy to bring punishment and judgment against the people so they would turn back to God. Oh, but Daniel was a man of prayer. And they even made a law against praying. But the Bible said Daniel opened his window toward Jerusalem three times. And he prayed three times a day as he faced toward the home city of Jerusalem. And nothing stopped his prayer. And I want to tell you, nothing stopped his God from answering his prayer. Not even, the, not even the hungry lions would touch Daniel. The king could not sleep the night. Daniel was in the lion's den. Ah, but dear friend, he learned that there is a God that is above all the kingdoms of men and the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. When David faced Goliath, he said, Goliath, you come to me with a sword You come to me with a spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Before Jesus chose the 12 men that would serve with him as disciples, and eventually most of them would become martyrs for the work of Christ, before the day came that those men were chosen, Jesus himself spent the night in prayer. America needs more than a mealtime prayer. America needs more than a bedtime prayer. America needs God's people to devote specific, special time to God in prayer. As we walk through the pages of the scripture, we read of Paul and his various ministry endeavors. We find all of them took place after times and seasons of prayer. In Acts chapter 16, as Paul planned to return again 
to go throughout Asia. The Holy Spirit forbid him to go. There was no anger. There was no animosity. He simply spent time with God in prayer. And it was in a vision in the night that he recognized uh, the need in Macedonia for them to hear the gospel. And he said, we have saved or we decided quickly if that's the will of God, we're ready to go. It was prayer that led them to that, that need that was in Macedonia. I am not aware of a single book in the New Testament that does not remind us, that does not emphasize to us, that does not teach us the importance of prayer and faith and dependency on God. You see, prayer allows God to bless our work and service for Him. You see, it, 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 it's not just a useless exercise. It's not a religious ritual. We pray before we give our tithes and offerings to God because we're dedicating our giving to God. What I can do with the dollar is different than what God can do with it. We give of our tithe and offering and we dedicate our tithe to the Lord. As we begin our church services, we begin in prayer. Because we depend, we ask God to move. We ask God to do more than a singer can accomplish. We ask God to do more than an instrumentalist can accomplish. We ask God to do more than a mere human being can do. In preaching the gospel, we appeal to the God of heaven and ask the power of the Holy Spirit to rest upon us that the work of God may be done. We need to hear more than from man. We need to hear from more than the ability of a man. We need to hear from the God of heaven. That's why we begin church with prayer before a preacher prays I'm sorry before a preacher preaches he prays before we eat we pray before we go to bed we pray when we arise in the morning we pray when I awaken in the night I always ask God if there's something he wants my attention for God's people must be people of God to prayer. I'll give you a few reasons or roadblocks to our effective prayer life, things that we ought to get rid of. First of all, we often stop praying because of fatigue or weariness. We just get tired. May I say tonight, prayer is not an emotion. It is obedience to a command. It is a fulfilling of an opportunity. It's taking advantage of a blessing, of a unique opportunity that God has given to us. Take your Bibles and go with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I love this passage of Scripture. Isaiah is a wonderful book all the way through. But Isaiah chapter 40, I want you to notice in verse number 29. Let's look at verse 28. Isaiah 40, 28, hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, feigneth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. Notice this. He giveth power to the faint. Some folks have more faith in Gatorade than they do God. What does it take? Take a visit to the emergency room before we pray? What does it take, a health scare before we pray? Do we have to see a child or a grandchild hurting before we pray? Prayer ought to be the behavior of the child of God 
It ought to be a communication with God every day. He says in this passage, He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increaseth the strength. Verse number 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I say tonight, if you're weary in your prayers for America, renew your dedication to pray. Don't look at the circumstances. Look at the size of God. You see, the children of Israel, they saw the army of Israel, saw the size of Goliath, and they were all afraid. But David saw the size of God. He saw the strength of God. He saw the power of God. And compared to the size of Goliath, he wasn't very big. God is the great God. That's who we need to have faith and prayer to. Don't let fatigue keep you from praying. Second of all, we often do not pray because of distraction. We get distracted in our prayers. That's why there ought to be times that we do nothing but pray. And we find places that we can pray without distraction. More time is given to playing games on a phone than time in prayer. Distracted. The devil's not looking for a sin to keep you from praying. He'd use anything to keep you from praying. The devil trembles at the bended knee of the child of God. Psalm 55, 17, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Think of this. Benjamin Franklin stood in the Continental Congress. He said, Sir, give us three days. Not to regroup, not to meet with our own group. And as far as I can find in the various writings and commentary of that, he did not talk about prayer in that time. When they returned, the arguments started again. And boy, were they heated. And he stood again, but this time a thought had entered his heart and mind. And it seems that it was not there before, but now he's reminded what we need is to call on the God of heaven. That was the answer. It was not, listen to me, it was not compromise with the other side that brought about peace. It wasn't the three days of just resting and thinking and communicating with others. It was when they turned to God in prayer. What do you need in your life tonight? What do we need in our life tonight? What does God want to uh, do in our life? Don't let distractions keep us from prayer. I give you the third thing and I move quickly. Sometimes haste or getting in a hurry keeps us from praying. And then, when a problem arises, all of a sudden, we've been stopped, and now we have time to do what? To do what we should have done to begin with. Number four, sometimes folks stop praying because of despair. They just give up. They just give up. They've been praying for the same thing 10 years. It hadn't happened. They give up. Think of the prayer life of Abraham and how long he waited for that son. Think of how long he waited for that son. 
Don't let despair, don't give up. As I look at America, I look at the federal government, I look at state government, I don't see, I don't see hope there. I do not. As I said this morning, the year has been a tragedy, a tragic year. We've lost more in 30 days than we did in 30 years in the state of Kentucky, and it's a shame. It's a terrible shame. So, preacher, are you in despair? No. But I've, I've been reminded that my hope may have been a tad misdirected that it is God where my hope should be all the time anyway. I said this morning we need to elect virtuous leaders. We need virtuous leaders to elect. But don't let despair keep you from praying. I'll give you the last thing and I'm finished. Laziness. Sometimes we don't pray just because we're lazy. We don't want to make our minds stop and think long enough to pray. We don't want to make our flesh stop long enough to pray. Matthew 7, 7, the Bible says, Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. If you study the, the, the verbiage, the, uh, the type of words you find that does, doesn't mean to ask one time. It means ask and seek and knock until the answer comes. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I say it again in closing. If America was conceived as a nation because men recognized the need to call on God in prayer, could America not see revival if we today would see that only God could change the course of this country. As the choir sang, as I heard the words and I heard them prayerfully, Lord, turn the tide. Stand with me if you will. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.